Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. As I said, we are going to work our way through chapter by chapter in the book of Revelation. John gives us an outline in chapter 1, verse 19 for the book. And he says that John is to write the things that he has seen, the things that are, and the things that will take place after this. So, of course, chapter 1 is the things that John has seen. Now that we are in chapters 2 and 3, these are the things that are. John is addressing those in the church age. And so this is where we will be for the next seven Sundays, chapters 2 and chapter 3. Okay, we're going to look at the message to all of the seven churches one at a time and see how these messages apply to us. Is everyone there? All right. The title of my message for today is, Have You Left Your First Love? Recently, actress Megan Good and her preacher husband, Devon Franklin, were in the news for filing for a divorce after almost a decade of marriage. Their relationship seemed like a fairy tale. They did tons of interviews and conferences on relationships. They even wrote a book and did a documentary on their relationship. Megan Good said that she believed that God was their matchmaker. And it seems like almost every single woman that I personally know um, was hyped up about their love. They were so excited about their relationship as if they were in the relationship themselves. (laughs) They were excited about how they had met and how they started their relationship. They were excited about how they as a couple decided to be celibate until they got married. They were excited about how happy they were as a couple, and they were excited about how they decided to serve together in ministry trying to help other people have better relationships. So it was a huge blow in late December of 2021 when they released a joint statement online that they were calling it quits. What made it even more strange about this announcement about ending their uh, marriage and divorce is that only six months um, prior to this in June, They both gave beautiful tributes to one another online, celebrating their love on their ninth wedding anniversary. Megan posted a four-minute video celebrating her husband, and in the video she states, To the love of my life, my husband, purpose, partner, congratulations on the anniversary. This makes number nine and the eternity for us to go. You're the best decision I've ever made besides loving Jesus. <laughs> I love you with everything inside of me in this life and in the next. Okay. And he responded to her with a similar message. Even as late as December the 2nd. Now remember, they, he, he, he filed for divorce on December 22nd. But on December the 2nd, he posted this message to her. I'm so proud of you, my love, at Megan Good. She's one of the most talented actors on the planet, and she's more fun than you might know. But I'm so glad you're finally getting getting a chance to see her do it all like Camille Parks in the new Amazon show, Hashtag Harlem. And then three weeks later, he filed for divorce. How do you spend six months posting, I love you, I love you, oh, this is my baby. It's for eternity. And then three weeks later, file for divorce. People on the outside were confused as to what was going on. How could two people who had a storybook relationship who just six months and even three weeks prior to the um, divorce made public displays of their love be ending their relationship in divorce? 
The answer is people on the inside knew a different story. They said that Megan Good and her husband had not been spending much time with each other for years. Their careers and their schedules had been taking them into different cities and in different projects. And for several years, they didn't spend much time together. And when they would spend time together, it would be only for a few hours, and then they would be off to their different cities and different projects again. To everyone on the outside, they had a perfect relationship, but in reality, their love for one another was growing cold. I believe the story of Megan Good and Devon Franklin is like a parable for the life of too many of us as Christians. Many of us are outwardly working for Jesus, but like the church at Ephesus, inwardly, our love for him has grown cold. Let us take a moment to look at this warning that Jesus gives to us as Christians in Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. He says, To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have that you have the deed um, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for allowing us to come again to hear your word. Your word is a two-edged sword. Sometimes it heals us, but sometimes it has to cut us in order for us to be healed. We pray, Lord, that you would help us not to shrink away from the message that you gave to the church at Ephesus and help us to see that this is also the message that you're giving to the church at the upper room. I pray, Lord, that you would open our hearts and see, help us to see where we have fallen from. Help us to repent and redo the first works so that we can celebrate you as our first love. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want us to look at four things here in this text. Number one, there's an investigation, verses 1, 2, and 3. Number two, there is an indictment, verse 4. There is a remedy in verses 5 and 6, and then there is encouragement in verse 7. Jesus has John write this message to the angel of the church at Ephesus. Now, this is most likely a human leader. The word angelos in this text is used of angels, but it is also used of human beings. And so most likely, John is told to write this letter to the pastor of the church at Ephesus. He tells John to write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now, you may be wondering, well, what, is the, what are these seven stars? Right? What, is, what is the lampstand? What do these things represent? And so it's important that we understand the, the symbolism and the illustrations that are used uh, throughout Revelation. For this particular one, if we look back at chapter 1, verse 20, I think that we understand exactly what these seven stars are and what the seven lampstands are, right? 
Revelation chapter 1, verse 20 says, The mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands, which you saw, are the seven churches. So when Jesus says to write this message to the um, angel of the church, and John sees Jesus holding, in his right hand, <laughs> holding the star and the lampstand, Jesus is showing that he is holding the pastor and the church in his hand. Here, Jesus is seen as holding the stars and the lampstand, which expresses the idea of security and sovereignty or of safety and accountability. Send this message to the pastor and to the church. You are safe, but you will also be accountable. Jesus' message to the pastor and the church is clear. Any relationship with me, you are firmly secure, but with that relationship comes much scrutiny and much accountability. Jesus says that he is the one who walks in the midst of the candlestick. Now, you remember in John chapter 1, I'm sorry, in Revelation chapter 1, uh, John sees Jesus dressed in the garments of a judge. He sees that Jesus is ready to come in judgment. If we were able to skip over first Peter, right, we would remember that Peter says it is time for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if judgment begins at the house of God, how can those who are not saved be saved? <laughs> right, how can they skip this condemnation? Jesus is here dressed as a judge and he is walking back and forth throughout the church. He is investigating, he is examining, he is evaluating, and he is judging the works of the church. And just like that time Jesus was walking through the wilderness and he saw the fig tree, <laughs> he, he, he walks over to the fig tree and he's examining, he's looking, he's looking for fig tree. And he wants to find good fruit. Jesus is examining, evaluating, and judging the works of the church. And so after saying this to John, Jesus boldly proclaims, I know your works. That's a hard statement. <laughs> Jesus, the one who John sees with eyes like a flame of fire, who can, can see through all of the things that we do. We come to church, put, put a nice smile, go to church, got our Bibles, everything is good. Everyone sees, how is everything? Oh, I'm blessed. Everything is good. Everything is great. Jesus sees through all of that. He knows your heart. He knows your motives. And here, after saying that he is examining the church, he says, I know your works. You may think that going to church, you may be able to hide things from the pastor. You can hide things from other members of the church. But Jesus goes everywhere you go. He knows all of your thoughts, Psalm 139. He knows every single word that comes off of your tongue before you even speak it. He knows your motives. He knows everything. And he says, I know your works. He's constantly evaluating each and every one of us. Now, Janita um, is a teacher, and so she has to have these evaluations every year. And she says that no matter how great uh, a teacher does during that evaluation, the principal has to give at least one comment saying that you did one thing wrong, you have to be better, do something better, okay? And so we see the exact same thing that is uh, taking place here in this text. Jesus gives the Ephesian church a great evaluation, and then 
he gives them one very hard stinging indictment. Jesus says, I know your works. I know your labor. I know your patience. I know that you test false um, apostles. I know that you persevere. I know that you are patient. I know that you are endure. This was a hard working church. They weren't slacking. They weren't sitting at home. They weren't just just trying to slide by. This was a hard working church. They were working and laboring hard for Jesus. They were patiently persevering and enduring all of the hardships that came their way as a Christian. They were doctrinally sound and mature. They were able to recognize false prophets a mile away, and they would not watch their TV broadcast. <laughs> this church appeared to be a model church. This church seems like it is a pastor's dream. People were, were showing up, and they were working, and they were serving. They cared about doing ministry. They cared about spreading the gospel. They cared about making disciples. They cared about um, keeping the unity of the faith that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, he encouraged them. Right? It appeared that the church's engine was firing on all cylinders, and they were ready to go. But there was something wrong, just one thing wrong under the hood. Just like Megan Good's marriage, things in the Ephesian church looked great on the outside, but on the inside, something was missing. That leads us to the indictment that Jesus says about the church. He praises them for all of their good works, for all of their good deeds, for all of the things that they did for him. But here's Jesus' indictment. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have one thing against you. You have left your first love. Now, I want you to imagine we just uh, passed Valentine's Day. Imagine a boyfriend takes his uh, girlfriend some flowers and some candy. And she says, oh, thank you. I love these things. Thank you so much for giving this for Valentine's Day. I really appreciate it. And he says, oh, don't even worry about it. I did it because that's my responsibility as your boyfriend. He's like, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, imagine it is your birthday and your husband, he takes you out to dinner. He takes you out to the finest restaurant. He spends a lot of money. You can order whatever you want. And you thank you, honey, so much. I really love this restaurant. Oh, don't worry about it. It's my duty as your husband. How, women, how would you? How would you take that? You'd be like, yeah, you'd, be, you'd be doing couch ministry, <laughs> right? I think this would cause a woman to feel some form of internal conflict. On the one hand, the boyfriend and the husband made you feel loved by giving you gifts and, and showering you with dinner and presents and love. But on the other hand, each of these women in the scenario will probably feel let down because they realize that the man is not acting out of love, but out of some sense of responsibility. Yeah. I mean, thanks, but do you really, I mean, do you love me or is it just, oh, I just, I mean, it's Valentine's Day. Gotta do something. <laughs> the problem is that in these scenarios, these men are motivated not by love, but by responsibility. 
It's sad that for many of us, me included, right, we oftentimes have the same problem. It is entirely possible to do all kinds of church work and not be in love with Jesus. It's possible to come to church every Sunday, to come to Bible study every Wednesday, to be in a cell group, to usher, to do security, to sing on praise and worship, to do audio, to preach, to serve as deacons, to clean the bathrooms. Did I miss anybody's ministry? <laughs> we miss, okay, whatever Layla does. Okay. <laughs> okay. It is possible to be involved in the work of Jesus, but not be in love with Jesus. Because it is possible to do all of these things for reasons other than loving Jesus. You know, sometimes people think I take shots at them, so I got to take shots at myself sometimes. It is possible to study scripture, to read tons of books, and be able to tell people what things mean in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin, and do it because you love learning, not because you love Jesus. That's something I have to watch out for. Jesus says to this church, I know your works. I know all the things that you do for me, but you are really doing those things for you. Notice his indictment. He said you left your first love. That means, doesn't mean that you don't have love. It just means that your love is not on me. You love something else. Maybe you love reading. Maybe you love attention. Maybe you just like being the leader or in charge. Maybe you love helping other people. Maybe it's just a habit because that's how you were raised. I mean, I don't have nothing else to do. Let me go to church on Sunday. Maybe you just love using the gifts that God gave you. But here's the question. Do you love Jesus or do you love working for Jesus? There's a difference. Some people just love love working in church. I, I just love I just love being in church. I love being around other Christians and I, you know, I, I I just like doing stuff. Some of us Christians are just workaholics. We work, 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 work at work. And so we come to church and we just work, 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 work has nothing to do with Jesus. We just got too much time on our hands, and we just got to fill it with something. (laughs) To ask this question another way, what is your motivation for Christian service? Do you come to church because it's what you're supposed to do as a Christian? Or do you come to church because you love Jesus and you want to be around him? You know, it's funny. I had this conversation. This is a side note. This is not on my on my notes, but I had I had the, a conversation with someone. This this was years ago, and um, they asked me, "Well, why is it that um, it's easy for people to ju- for Christians to just not come to church, right? Well, why why is it that you know people's like, well, if I come to church, I don't come to church. Uh, it doesn't really matter. And it's like I, I think the Holy Spirit gave me this on the spot. It was like boom. It's like wisdom. <sighs> I was like that was. I like that was inspired. Well, that was, I'm like, it was inspired. It was inspired. I said, let me ask you this question. Do you hang out at people's houses that you're not um, very close to? If the church is the house of God and I'm not close to God, why, do I, why would I waste my time going there? Right? I mean, during the pandemic, they're like, you can't go around your family. You got to stay home. It's a, listen, I was like, I don't care who they are. They can't tell me I can't see my parents. If I'm going to go, I'm going to stand outside. I'm standing in the doorway. Hey, hey, mom. Hey, dad. You know, look, I, didn't, I, I love my parents. I can't stay away from their house. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go see my parents. 
even if I have to stand outside and just look through the window. <laughs> and then my grandmother, she like. <laughs> so after about two weeks of that, she was like, can you come in the house? <laughs> so then I put my mask on, and I come in the house, and she was like, can you take that stupid thing off your face? I'm like, Grandma, I don't want you to get sick. She's like, I've been through the Great Depression and everything else. You can't do nothing to me. I'm like, okay, Grandma. <laughs> you, you, you can't stay away from people that you're in love with. But if you can stay away for weeks and months and years at a time, what does that say? Why do you go to church on Sundays? Why, why do you come? Why do you go to come to Bible study? Why are you doing cell group? Why are you in the ministry? Why do you do any of the Christian things that you do? What is your motivation? Is it I'm supposed to do this as a Christian? <laughs> I'm supposed to read my Bible. I'm supposed to do my devotions. I'm supposed to share the gospel. I'm supposed to preach every Sunday because if I come in here without a sermon, people won't be mad. <laughs> why, do, why, why do you do what you do? Is it because you're supposed to do it or because you're in love with Jesus? Jesus' indictment is that this church had lost its first love. They loved something. It just wasn't the one whom they fell in love with at first. How about you? Have you lost your first love? Do you love Jesus with the same intensity you did when you first met him? Now, I think that the tendency for us as Christians is like, yeah, yeah, I love Jesus. Oh, yeah, I'm still, still madly in love with him. The same way I first met him. Okay? Because we know the right answer. Okay? And we, you know, we don't want to be like the woman at the well. Remember Jesus? She was talking to the woman at the well. And Jesus said, Go call your husband. He's like, so I perceive that you are a prophet. Can you tell me about, you know, who worships correctly? Is it the, the Jews or the Samaritans? It's like she just completely switched the topic. Her brain was like, fight or flight, fight or flight, fight or flight. He's like, warning, warning, warning. You know, when, when he said, you have five husbands, and the man you're living with now is not your husband. She's like, warning, warning, warning. And she just switched the topic. We had that same tendency as Christians. Do you love Jesus with everything? Oh, absolutely. I love everything. We're like, mm-mm, getting too close, getting too close. Okay. Let's stop for a moment and not rush past the question. Take a moment to pause and reflect. Other than Sundays, how often do you read your Bible? I guess I could add, why do you, if you read it every day, why do you read it every day? You're like, well, it's just my habit. I just read the Bible every day. <laughs> or do you recognize that this is a love letter from the greatest lover in the universe? I just want to hear his voice. Other than when you need something or are say, saying your grace, how often do you pray? Not when you, not, Lord bless this food because I don't want to die. No, no, that's not what, <laughs> other than saying your grace or needing something, how often do you pray? Follow-up questions, like, I pray every day. How long do you pray every day? Now, research says the average Christian, including pastors, only pray five minutes a day. And that includes saying your grace. How, how, how long, how much time do you spend when you pray? Do you spend time doing praise and worship at home? Or is it only the first 15 minutes of church on Sunday? Do you have a praise and worship time at home? You spend time just with Jesus, hands lifted up, praising God, just, just you. 
Do you have a praise and worship time at home? Or is it just something you do when you come to church? When was the last time you memorized a Bible verse? I can add, when was the last time you memorized a catechism question? <laughs> when was the last time, because I mean, people are like, well, I just don't really understand the Bible. It's hard for me to memorize those things. When was the last time you picked up a book to help you understand the Bible since the Bible is so hard to understand? When was the last time you read a book about God, the holiness of God? Or any, anything about God, when was the last time you read one? I mean, I know we can, we, we can memorize, we don't, who won the Super Bowl? Who won the Super Bowl? What was the score? Right? I know they're like, I ain't answering. I know this is a, tr- I know this is a trick question. This is a setup. Warning, warning, warning. <laughs> right. But but we can memorize all of the stats for our favorite team. We can memorize all of the words for our favorite song. If I, I can start naming songs from the 70s, y'all be like, yeah. <laughs> y'all know all the words. Then I'll be like, what's John 3.16? You're right. What's John 317? <laughs> right? I mean, I've been, I've been using that set question for like 15 years. I like, I got $100 or somebody can get, tell me what John 317 says. I've never paid anybody that money. I'm Michelle got a hand up. She's like, try me, try me. <laughs> so God, go ahead. There you go. I'm glad I didn't offer no hundred dollars. <laughs> I got you, Michelle. I got you. Okay, but uh, again, the point the point I'm making is is that how is it so hard to memorize scripture and things about God, but we can remember everything else. How many people fasted and prayed on Wednesday? Ash Wednesday, the first Wednesday of Lent. How many people decided to give up something for Lent so that they can minimize distractions in their hearts and prepare themselves to focus on Jesus' sacrifice for us? If we were to post on these two screens how much time you spent watching TV this week or how much time you spent on social media, or how much time you spent doing whatever your favorite thing is compared to how much time you spent praying and worshiping God this week, would you be embarrassed? I think all of us would be embarrassed. Yeah, I think all of us would be embarrassed. You're like, some people are like, well, I don't have time to pray. I don't have time to do this. And then you scroll to their social media, they'd be like, well, they got a lot of time. <laughs> <laughs> John Piper says that he believes that the purpose for social media on Judgment Day is to prove everybody wrong who said they did not have time to pray. That's why I got off social media. (laughs) I was like, Lord, I can't handle records. (laughs) If we are really honest with ourselves, we would all admit that at many places in our lives, We have all left our first love. We do Christian stuff, but like the boyfriend and husband in my early example, we do it out of a sense of duty and responsibility as a Christian, not because we love Jesus. Jesus here in talking to this pastor in this church, he lets them know that he will not tolerate loveless service. We think that just doing something for Jesus is enough. Jesus will not tolerate loveless service. It is repugnant to him. And so he gives and offers a remedy in the next verse. He says, verse 5, 
Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Three things Jesus says to do here. Number one, three R's. Remember, repent, and then I had to add a little little prefix on it. Redo. All right. So he says, remember, repent, and do the first works. Remember, repent, and redo. All right. Went to seminary. Got to, you know, got to make everything have the same letter. (laughs) Okay. He says, remember from where you have fallen. Do you remember how passionate you were for Jesus when you first met him? You, you, re- you remember all the things that you did for him when you first fell in love with him? You were reading scripture. You were praying. You, 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 the binding on your Bible was falling off. I mean, you, you were constantly in the word. You were constantly singing to the Lord. You were constantly doing things. They could not put you out of church. They were like, okay, all right, it's time, time to go. Can we lock the door? They couldn't get rid of you. you. You were always constantly talking about Jesus. He says, remember what it was like when you first fell in love with me. You, everybody, everyone remembers when you first fell in love, right? You remember what it was like, who it was. You remember all of the things you had to do to try to get people to know. You're like, do you like me? Yes or no? <laughs> and then you fold it up, right? And you remember when they sent the yes? You're like, and you remember when they sent the no? <laughs> you, you, you just remember. You remember your first kiss? And you remember, oh, he's like, you remember all of that stuff you remember. Jesus says, remember how it was when you first fell in love with me. Remember from where you have fallen. He pictures it as if that was the height of a pinnacle and you fell off. Remember from where you have fallen and repent. Change your mind. The things that you are now loving and now are focusing on, I need you to change your mind and turn back to me. And when you do that, you need to start doing again the first works. The things that you did when you first fell in love with me, you got to start redoing those things all over again. Now, every woman knows that when they first get into a relationship with a man, I mean, they're getting flowers, they're getting candy, you're getting phone calls, you on the phone, they're like, you sleepy? No, I ain't sleepy. <laughs> you sleep? No, I ain't sleep. You're like, okay, all right, well, it, it's getting late. Let's get off the phone. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. <laughs> right? We, 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 we all remember that stuff, okay? Jesus says, do all of that stuff again. Every woman knows that, that has been with a man for long enough. You're like, when was the last time you brought me flowers? You don't bring me flowers anymore. Why, why would you used to get out and open my car door? You'd be rushing around. How you, you know. Right? Now they'd be like, get, come on, man. Come on. Like, What's taking you so long getting out the car? <laughs> all right. For, for, for some reason, when we get you, you be like, oh, we got it now, so. <laughs> like, you know, we first got married, you know, come home and, like, take my clothes off and, like, you know, put them in the dirty clothes. And now you be like. <laughs> <laughs> this morning, Janita was like, are those clothes on the floor at the side of the bed dirty or not? I'd be like, oh, yeah, they dirty. <laughs> <laughs> right? Why, why do we why do we do that? Why do we do that? Why do we, why do we do all of this stuff up front and then we just fall off? Jesus says you got to start redoing the stuff you did when you first fell in love with me. I remember as a teenager when I was uh, uh really when I was about 12 years old when I you know, it wasn't on me. I'm like that had to be from the Lord, right? But, you know, it's like I got, became so passionate about 
um, studying the Bible, spending time with um, with the Lord. I would make my my parents be so mad. I would make them. I would make them take me to the seven forty five service at church. That's why I got my license so early. So <laughs> they they drop me off and go back home and get dressed and then come back to church, right? And I I, I still have them. I have binders of notes. I just Binders and notes, binders and notes, binders and notes. I don't go back and look at them, but I got binders and notes. <laughs> and it's like I was so passionate about God. I was spend, I mean, I remember hours, just, just Revelation chapters 4 and 5. I would literally spend hours. That's why I said people are like, well, what is heaven going to be like? I don't know what heaven is like, but I know what God's throne room is like. Because I've been there so many times. I would spend hours imagining myself there, praying, praising worship. I, I would go to the park, and I would, I would be out in the park praising worship, and I would be literally face down on the grass praying and praising God. People are like, what's wrong with him? But as I've gotten older, you have responsibilities and things that you need to do and children and schedules and things like that. I, 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 listen, I spend time with God every single day, but it's not with the same intensity. It's not with the same intensity. I've, I've spent time reading and studying and doing all of these things. But at the end of the day, you know what, what I have to admit? Sometimes I'm spending so much time studying God's word that I don't have time for God. Because I, I, I love digging out. I, I love what the Greek, I stu- what the Greek says, what it is, getting illustration examples and stuff. I love all of that. And sometimes I'm studying, but I'm not praying. I'm not talking to God. Last week when I said that I'm going to, for the next 40 days, I'm going to stop listening to music, somebody said, what kind of music he listening to? <laughs> and the funny thing is I only listen to gospel music. But the truth is, sometimes I'm listening to gospel music so much, I don't have time to talk to God. We think that because we are doing something Christian, we are automatically in the right place with God. And that's the same mistake the Pharisees made. You can be so close to the things of God that you're not close to God at all. What's the motivation for why you are doing what you are doing. If your motivation is not a passionate love for Jesus, you either need to stop or you need to include your love for Jesus as the motivation for why you keep doing what you're doing. As I said, Jesus will not tolerate loveless service. It is repugnant to him. This is such a serious issue that Jesus threatens to shut down the church if this problem is not remedied. He says, remember where you've fallen from. Repent and do the first works, or I will remove your candlestick. Think about that. People were doing missions. They were preaching. They were meeting the needs of the poor. They were helping people. They were serving. They were doing all of these great things. Jesus said, yeah, I know all of that. I'm going to shut all of that down because none of that means anything if you don't love me. Why are more and more churches closing their doors every single year? Why is the church in Western countries on the decline, but it is on fire in the third world? If you look at people, you know, people, a lot of people are saying, oh, well, Christianity, you know, that's just a Western thing. No, it's not. You go to South America, you go to Africa, you go to other third world countries, 
that is where the center of Christianity is. It is not in Western. It is not in America. It is not in Europe. The church is exploding in South America and Africa. We just can't. We closing doors every year. More and more churches are shutting down. Why do I keep talking to people who keep asking, why do I feel so unfulfilled in my Christian life? Why do people keep trying to get their ministry off the ground, but it seems like it does not get to go anywhere? Is it possible that maybe, just maybe, the answer to all of these questions is Jesus himself is slowly blowing out the candles because we are no longer motivated by love for him. We come to church, and I remember, <laughs> think about, uh, I've been, the last six months, I've been reading books on uh, ancient church history, so like the first 400 years of, of church history, and St. Jerome had a dream one night, and he said Jesus appeared to him in his dream, and uh, he died, uh, and he went to, to heaven. He gets to the gate, and uh, they stop him, and, and they says, you're not a Christian. He says, yes, I am a Christian. He says, no, you're not a Christian. You're a Ciceronian. The philosopher Cicero. It, because it, he, he, he loved philosophy so much. He loved the writings of Cicero so much that, that he spent so much time that he died, he dreamt it, that he died, went to heaven, and they said, whoa, 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 you're not a Christian. You're a Ciceronian. That was life-changing for him. Life-changing for him. Is it possible that too many of us are not really Christians? We are, I would say, politicians. Is, 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 is the problem with our churches that we care more about what happens to our political parties than we care about the church? Maybe that's why Jesus is blowing out the candlestick in America. We're not saying it on scripture. It's whatever our political party says. On both sides. Yeah, I know what the Bible says. But, and then we go, but, but means scratch all of that. But my political party says this. I'm going to end this here. He who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the upper room. I'm going to open the floor for an altar call. And I'm going to be the first one at the altar call. I remember I was at, at, my, at my old church and somebody came up and gave, got an altar call. He was like, I'm, get, I'm, staying, I'm stepping for my own altar call. <laughs> it's me. All of us, at some place in our lives, need to hear what the Spirit is saying. We, we, we do so many things repetitiously, repet over and over and over, over, over and over. But the truth is, if we're honest, we don't love Jesus the way we used to love him. I debate on whether I would use this example. You know me, once if I'm debating about something, I'm like, that means I'm supposed to do it. <laughs> I had this thought a couple of Sundays ago. Super Bowl Sunday, as a matter of fact. Super Bowl Sunday, <laughs> we had we talked about this. I said, um, it's so funny that on maybe like one or two Sundays before Super Bowl Sunday, it rained like early in the morning. And I, I mean, before I could get my clothes on, people was like, are we canceling church? It's, it's supposed to be icy outside. It, and I'm like... For the sake of the saints, we will cancel church on Sunday. 
And two Sundays later, it literally snowed on Super Bowl Sunday. I said, Lord, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm like, how many people come in here? How many people come in here? They better, be, they better, uh, they better not come uh, miss church because I'm going to be like, how y'all come to church on Super Bowl Sunday in the snow, but y'all can't come because it might be icy? And then it did the same thing during the week. And I'm like, I, I was talking to people, oh, yeah, I'm at work. I'm just like, <laughs> just like, it snows on Sunday, and they can't come to church with a half an inch of snow. But they, they able to get up early enough and clean the cars off and go cross town in the snow for work. I was having a conversation with my father, and he was like, yeah, you know, he was like, it, it might be slippery out here, so you, 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 you know, you got to be careful. And I said, you used to drive to work in a blizzard. He would pack his bags and drive to work in a blizzard and plan to stay, but it sprinkled outside, and because he was like, well, you know, it's too dangerous, I'm just like, He's not here. I'm lucky today. <laughs> you know why we can, it's, it's, too, it's too dangerous. It's we got to be cautious on Sunday. But we can get up and drive to work because I, we like, our boss ain't, ain't going to say, oh, it's a, it's a, it might be a quarter inch of ice out there, a quarter inch of snow. It's too dangerous. They're going to say, you might want to leave an hour early and come to work. Because they're not going to close. And guess what you do? You get up an hour early, and you drive a little slower, <laughs> but, but you go. <laughs> Why do we do that? I was, <laughs> I, got to be careful. I was I'm recording this. But, <laughs> The other day I went to to the store, I had to pick something up, and I was riding to the store and I, I rode past somebody and they were like, I was like, oh hey, what's going on? I realized that as I'm going by, oh hey, what's going on? So, and then it just dawned on me, you know, I ain't seen that person in church since Ma March of 2020, but I run into them at the store all the time. One time I ran into them three times in one day. And they was like, Pastor, you know, I'm not, I'm not joking. I'm really scared of the pandemic. That's why I haven't been in church. Oh, yeah. How you at the mall? <laughs> y'all crazy. Y'all going to die. Only in church? <laughs> we figured out how to go everywhere else. And be safe. Oh no, we got we gotta watch on Zoom, Dead Pastor. No, this is too dangerous. We gotta be safe. Meanwhile, I read this article today. I sent y'all the article the other day. I'm like, in the Ukraine, they dropping missiles on people. And guess where the church of Ukraine is on Sundays? They're in church. They're ducking missiles. But they said, this is where we got to be. <laughs> the country ran out of Bibles because the people that's trapped in the bomb shelters they're like, I need, I need hope. I, what's going to happen? We don't know what's going to happen. And so they passing out Bibles. and running, They ran out of Bibles in the whole country. And so the people said, listen, <laughs> am I going to run and save my own life and go to heaven and leave these people to go to hell? And we scared because it's a quarter of an inch of ice outside.
They had church service, ducking missiles, then taught people how to put on a tourniquet and render first aid. And they're out in the community spreading the gospel. They might get, oh, oh, that's dangerous. They got to use wisdom. They might die and go to heaven. They might die and go to heaven. Somebody else might die and go to hell. Are we Christians or are we Americans? Because Christians, Jesus said, if you love your life more than you love me, You are not worthy of me. I'm going to end here because I was, as I said, I've been reading on this church history stuff. And one thing that stood out out to me was in the year about uh, 250, um, so from 249 to about 251, there was an emperor named Decius. And um, we th- I th- had told y'all uh, in the group, cell group about this guy. Um, he decided he wanted to restore the pagan religions of, of the empire because they believed that uh, the reason that the empire was falling apart was because Christianity had, had come in and they were no longer worshiping the old gods. And so what he decided was he was going to force everybody to w- worship the old gods. They had to come to the temple. They had to offer a sacrifice to the, to the pagan gods. And after they do that, they would get be given a little certificate to prove that they had complied with the state. If you did not, you would be killed, right? Or that you'd be persecuted or whatever. So s- um, many Christians, they just ran and went and worshiped, okay? Um, some Christians bought fake certificates, <laughs> okay? showing nothing changed in like the last 2,000 years, okay? Um, but what's interesting is in the middle of this persecution in the year 250, they had a pandemic. And during the pandemic, people don't realize that Christianity grew and flourished and Christians became the majority in the culture because, for one reason, when everybody else left their sick people to die, Christians didn't leave. They didn't run to save their own lives. They ran to the sick people and nursed them back to health. And so people were like, wow, you know, <laughs> what's wrong with these people? They, they didn't even, s- they risked their own lives to make sure I was okay. And so as the pagan population died off, the Christians be- w- were still there. More people became Christian, and it, within 50 years, the whole empire was Christian. Because their love for Jesus was more important than anything else. And on the flip side, the church of Ephesus. Anybody ever take a cruise to the city of Ephesus? What is it there? What's the city of Ephesus like now? What is it like? Not the city of Ephesus. It's in ruins. (laughs) It's in ruins. Because apparently they didn't take Jesus' warning seriously. And so they were a great commercial city. They had a great harbor where everybody, it was a port city, and so everybody was rich and wealthy. Maybe that's why there's so many, probably at least five books of the Bible written to or about the city of Ephesus. Y'all got to watch out for this. Your money is distracting you from, didn't listen. So within a couple of centuries, silt flowed in through the Mediterranean and just filled in the harbor. Can't do shipping if ships can't get into your harbor city goes into decline. Eventually, the Arabs come in, take the city, 
and deports everybody in the city to other places. And the city sits in ruins to this day. Jesus said, remember from where you have fallen. Repent and redo the same works that you did before, or I will come and I will, I'm going to remove your candlestick. You're not going to serve a purpose anymore. I will shut you down. My prayer is as we are working our way through the book of Revelation is that, again, my, 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 my goal in every series is that we would not be hearers of the word. Ooh, tell me about when Jesus is going to come back. I don't think you really want to know that. Revelation 1-7 says that when he comes, all the nations of the earth will mourn because of him. That there still is going to be a judgment day. I mean, we'll, we'll successfully pass it, but it's not going to be an easy day. Jesus says, every idle word will be accounted for. Hebrews 4 says that, that he is the one with his word is the discerner of the intentions of our hearts. We see all your deeds. Jesus know why you did it. You had to be like, well, the reason I did that was for Jesus. Right? So I, I don't want this series to just be, we, we collecting a bunch of facts. Okay, well, you know, the rapture is going to be like this. And, and it, uh, the whole point of the book of Revelation is Jesus is coming back. You want to be ready. You want to be prepared. You want to make sure that when he comes, your heart is right and your life is pure. And so as we go through this book of Revelation, I don't want us, again, be, be just a bunch of facts, a bunch of information. I want us to understand the purpose of prophecy, right? Scripture says that the purpose of prophecy, the purpose that God tells us what will happen in the future is so that we can live correctly right now. Everyone who has this hope, John says in his first epistle, everyone who has this hope should be pure as he is pure. You have the hope of the resurrection. You should live pure now because he is pure. The reason that we go through the book of Revelation is so not so that we can know what will happen in the future, but it's so that we can live right right now. Amen. Father, I know I said I was going to give an altar call, but we all are covered in this altar call. <laughs> Lord, we come to you as we are saying in our liturgy to humbly repent. The truth is that every Sunday we read that confession that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And we just read over it as just something that we say on Sunday and we go about our business. Because there are things that we hold on to that we should let go, and we don't because we love those things. And even though we would never say it, too many things in our lives we love more than we love you. Lord, I want to be the first to confess. Sometimes I love the things of God more than I love you, God. I pray, Lord, that you would put your finger on the things in our lives that we hold more dear than we hold you. Help us to remember what it was like when we first gave our lives to you, how we loved you and we were passionate about you and, and we pursued you with our whole heart. Help us to repent 
and turn back to you. To recognize that it makes no difference to do the work of God if we don't have God ourselves. That's how you can say on Ma- in Matthew chapter 7 that on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I do this in your name? Didn't I do that in your name? And you will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Because many people are doing things, but we don't know you. I pray, Lord, as we are coming upon Easter, a time where we spend time reflecting on your sacrifice for us, that it would motivate us to live as a living sacrifice for you. Forgive us, Lord. Help us to know that you have already given us grace. Help us to know that the verse we didn't read, verse 7, that you will strengthen us and encourage us, and you've made a promise that for all of us who overcome, we will dwell with you in the paradise of God. Cleanse us, Lord. Help us to prepare for your coming so that when you come, we will not be embarrassed. We thank you now for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let us, uh, well, before I, I, I do offering, did, uh, are we, am I supposed to have Miss Mimi, you coming up? Let me, I got to stick with my notes when people tell me to do. Let <laughs> me have Miss Mimi uh, come up before we, before we uh, close out. Ninety-nine years and counting. <laughs>